0: Welcome to Outside the Tank, the first podcast in the world that interviews the entrepreneurs featured on Shark Tank. We get the inside scoop on how they got there, what lessons they learned, their biggest regrets, what didn't air on TV, what has happened to them since, and so much more. Prepare to be informed, inspired, and entertained. Welcome to an all-new episode of Outside the Tank. Well here we are. Pregate, game Tracy Rosenstein, Wall Street Tracy. Pooch Paper. That's my part. Oh, okay. I'll let you do it though. No, that's fine. You know? <laughs> that's my part. Can't we mix it up? I once introduce in a while? us. Oh. No, no, no. Come I'm, on. I'm the one that opens up the show, first of all. Oh. Second of all. You gotta do it with some enthusiasm. I, Welcome to Outside the Tank. I'm Tom. I'm Joe. <laughs> we are so happy to be here. We got Tracy Rosensteel of Pooch Paper. See how much better that was? That was better. It I was I'm, better. I'm not gonna even try from now on. No, you're no, really no. good at opening Just, the, would the show. You let me do my job. <laughs> <Okay>. Alright? <laughs> she was a great guest. She was great. Yeah. That's a it's a heck of a business, too. So she went into Shark Tank asking for two hundred and fifty thousand for twelve percent of the company, and again, it's it's eco friendly uh, waste paper to dispose of. Yeah, it's price. an al- alternative to plastic. Did you know there are twenty two billion pounds of dog poo sitting out there? See, I would have guessed twenty three billion. Great, uh, great appearance, great pitch. We're going to uh, find out what happened. There was an offer there. Some folks went out. Uh, some folks were just not excited about the dog poo business. Some others were very excited. We'll figure out what happened to her. But great lady, great great business, uh, great niche business. You, Can you tell us what happened on Shark Tank? Yeah, Barb went out right away. She thought the price point was too high. If you didn't see the uh, episode, uh, Cuba was just not excited. Uh, Lori... Didn't think that uh, Tracy needed a partner and didn't quite get the $2 million valuation. Um, and Kendra went out. She, she liked Mr. Wonderful's offer, which was royalty-based. And they went back and forth a little bit. And it looks like she accepted that offer. All right. Well, this is going to be a fun interview. Yep. Looking forward to it. We'll come back on the other end, dig out some lessons. We will, as we always do. And in case you haven't already done so, this is your friendly reminder. Make sure to hit subscribe. Make sure to give us five stars. Make sure to tell your friends. And as always, thank you for listening. Absolutely. Outside the Tank. Let's get to Tracy. All right. We're here with Tracy of Pooch Paper. Tracy, welcome to Outside the Tank. Thank you. How are you? We are doing well and uh, looking forward to hearing all about the business and what's happened yeah. since Shark sure Tank and where it's going. It's going to be a fun conversation. And they nicknamed you on the sh- on the show, when the show uh, taped it air, they nicknamed you Wall Street Tracy.
1: Yes, that's correct. <laughs> 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 Apparently, 22 years get you that nickname. So. I know it. And,
0: and, you were involved, I, I think you mentioned uh, on the floor uh, with with uh, uh, tech, uh, technology play, but I' I'm just I, we've got to ask where the idea came from. I know it's the first question I sold your first question. You did. But coming from Wall Street, I have to ask this pooch paper what a great idea, great product. But how do those two connect? Where did that come from?
1: <laughs> they don't really connect much, do they? Um, I have a nine year old French bulldog uh and ever since i've had him since he was a puppy and i live in new york and on the corner of every uh street there's a bin that's filled with single-use plastics at the end of every day so over the years i've kept thinking every time i drop one in the bin i'm thinking you know there's got to be a better way to do this so um long and the short i spent about three years researching you know some alternatives to plastic i did a lot of research into the types of plastic that are out there today that claim to be eco-friendly and what does that mean exactly? And what are the standards and uh, what do they do to the environment? And I realized that there's really uh, no healthy plastic out there uh, to speak of. So I came up with a paper alternative <clears throat> and did a bunch of research to make sure that we could keep it uh, made in the USA because that's super important to me Yeah, uh, for a number of reasons, not the least of which if you're gonna have an eco-friendly quote unquote product, by the time your carbon footprint after ships and planes and, you know, shipping it halfway around the world, it's kind of a moot point. So um, anyway, so yeah, I, I tested out a bunch of uh, different papers that were made in the USA in different companies and checked into their, um, you know, green ability as far as their um, carbon footprint themselves and, you know, utilizing renewable energy and that kind of stuff. And came out with pooch paper about, I don't know, three years later. (laughs) So the inspiration was my dog, for sure.
0: My daughter has a uh, Frenchie, a French bulldog. They are wonderful animals. Uh, But what a, you know, what a departure. Were you already uh, retired or had you moved on from your uh, position in in Wall Street when uh, you started developing the business idea?
1: No, I was still working there. I actually have a number of different companies that I've started and launched and sold and still have uh, throughout the course of the last few years anyway. But um, for Wall Street, right out of college, of course, everybody needs a day job, right? So (laughs) I happen to know my older brother who worked in a trading floor technologies company in Chicago. I'm originally from Chicago. And uh, he was very instrumental in getting me a job to begin with, with one of the major vendors in that space back in open outcry days when it used to be a lot of fun. Um, Anyway, so I, I worked for two different employers in that space and decided to open my own company and move it to New York in 2007. So I basically took the about 10 years of knowledge I had gained from two former employers and I wrapped it into a consultancy, and sold it back to my two former employers. (laughs) Oh,
0: fantastic. So there was this this, uh, serial entrepreneur boiling inside of you.
1: Yeah, exactly. I learned it from my family, I think. But um, yeah, so I ran that for about 10 years and um, grew it to a 15-person company and sold the balance of my contracts back in 2016. So um, what do we now? I guess... I guess Pooch Paper was kind of kicking around in my brain, um, probably back then. Um, And it just sort of, you know, naturally or organically came about in the last couple of years. And officially, we brought it to market in uh, February of 2020.
0: So you got on Shark Tank pretty quickly after launching the product. Did you apply or did they recruit you? How did you end up on the show?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I actually—I'll um, never forget. It was what happened was, as, as I mentioned, I've worked on this for several years. So I filed for patent uh, coverage back in the fall of 2018, and then took it uh, to a trade show in the beginning of 2019, and figured I'd cover the concept, dip my toe in the water, you know, be one of the exhibitors at that show and see if anyone has any kind of interest in this type of a product. So what happened in 2019 was, there was tremendous interest, which was great. Um, And I worked very hard during 2019 to secure, um, you know, where I'm, I, I guess the entire soup to nuts of how to get the product actually on the shelf. So in the fall of 2019, I was watching Shark Tank as I do most nights when I go to bed and (laughs) I was lying in bed and had my phone. And I thought, you know, I wonder what it takes to actually get on the show. And of course, online, they have, uh, you know, online form that you can fill in. So I filled it in and I hit send. It took me maybe 10 minutes. And I thought there's no way I'm going to hear from anybody. (laughs) I don't know who reads this, but probably no one. Anyway, I'd sent it way too preliminary, you know, to the business being ready for it. But in turn, it, I had a phone call maybe a week or two later from the casting department. And I went through the process of, um, of uh, you know, getting interviewed for it. And then they said, you know, we'd love you to put your hat in the ring. And that was, again, the fall of 2019. And then literally the week where I needed to convert my um, paperwork for the full patent filing was the week that they required all kinds of information from me and i just wasn't ready to give it up so i turned it down back then and then waited until the spring or i guess the winter of 2020 Um, and by that time i had sold my first contract to orvis a fly fishing outfitter um, which actually was near and dear to my heart i grew up fly fishing so i thought well that's kind of nice that they were the first ones to step up to the table Anyway, um, so yeah, I had, um, what did I do? Oh, I know what I did. I, I had emailed some of the sharks themselves and they're not allowed to, you know, have contact with you prior to the show. Right. I of course don't know any of them. Um, and I think it was Kevin that had ended up just forwarding on my email to one of the producers of the show who in turn emailed me saying, if you'd like to put your hat in the ring one more time we'd love to we'd love to have you <laughs> uh so that's how it started i thought all right how many times do you get asked twice so yeah. I, figured I don't, I should I don't really,
0: think uh, i don't think uh tracy we've talked to an entrepreneur that appeared on shark tank but turned them down i think that's a first for us yeah so you turned oh, really? them down, you got invited again fantastic and you were you were uh at time of taping you were only at it for about seven or eight months and you had about 50,000 in sales. Uh, I think you're in 82 stores and online. Um, what was your feeling when you walked on and uh, started to, to do a pitch, which I, which I thought was a great pitch? Uh, what was going through your head? Did you feel like it was just too premature based on where the business was at at that
1: time? Uh, exactly. And not only that, but um, I was in between uh, provisional patent and full patent filing and the information that they had requested, of course, about the product and the company was just, I just wasn't ready to get, you know, give that up yet until I had my paperwork in order. And I guess it's because I was raised by an attorney. <laughs> so I thought there's no way I should do that now. But, um yeah, and I'm happy I waited because, you know, I, as it was, I was pretty early out of the gate as far as, you know, early doors on the business to even bother to stand on that stage. So
0: <laughs> what were the first couple days like once you uh, aired on television?
1: Oh, they were crazy. They were really great. We threw a big party. Um, I called the super spreader of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you no were one that got person. Sick.
0: Okay,
1: <laughs> I was there. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody got sick, thankfully. Um, no, but it was great. We had about sixty-five or so people. Live music came up from Annapolis to New York to play, which was really special. Um, and we got to watch it, of course. And then, uh, yeah, we got hit with a ton of orders. And soon thereafter, I decided to grow the skews a bit. I, I went on originally with one skew. And now we have five, I think, and it's only been a couple of months. So um, we're really uh, expanding quickly.
0: And what are those other SKUs?
1: So we have a 12 by 12 sheet, which is the one that we talked about on the show. Uh, and if you recall, Kevin making a, um, a big stink, pun intended, <laughs> uh, <laughs> about the size of the sheet Uh, We came out with a larger one for larger dogs, and that's uh, 14 by 14, so a bit bigger. Um, So two different retail boxes, and then we have two different um, bulk boxes that are uh, in quantities of 500 and 1,000, and those both fit into, you can either buy them as is, or they're intended to fit into our um, metal dispensers that we're starting to deploy in municipalities in multi-tenant buildings across the nation, which is exciting. And then we have a pouch, sorry, (laughs) I'm almost there. We then have a pouch uh, to fit either size sheet in, so we made it to accommodate both. And then we have a clip that clips onto your leash and then it has, um, you know, if you're on a long walk, for example, in a dirty pooch paper, you can clip it onto the end and it hangs off your leash and you don't have to carry it. So the clip in the pouch, the pouch for retail, both of those will be ready in April. Um, they're already ordered, um, and we're starting to take some, you know, pre-sales orders. And then we have a, a handmade pouch. It's actually made from recycled sailcloth up in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. They're really cool. Those are on the website.
0: So at, at, time, of, uh, at time of taping, you were reselling a pouch, but now they're uh, they're your own pouches.
1: Correct. Yep. Now they're branded pooch paper. Yep.
0: And the dispenser, go back, tell us more about the dispenser that winds up in a park because that's obviously a delivery vehicle for the product are, I'm just curious, how does that work? Are you giving that away? Uh, How does that get positioned?
1: Uh, Right. So good question. So last year we spent a lot of time building our retail partnerships um, and this year, my number one growth strategy includes um, selling to municipalities to replace the plastic dispensers and dog parks, and then multi-tenant buildings who have dog amenities like residential, who might have a, a dog park and or the necessity for um, dog you know, waste dispensers around the perimeter of their property. Uh, we're also working with the KOA, so Campgrounds of America, to get into all of their locations. I think uh, North, and, North and South, excuse me, North America in Canada and the US, they have about 500 locations there. Um, so that's our big growth strategy for this year. Now that we've, um, we've augmented since Shark Tank for our retail, um, we, I think when we aired, well, when we filmed Shark Tank, we were about a week away from launching in 1,061 Target stores nationwide. So that took place. We're also now on Chewy.com, Walmart.com. Uh, obviously, we sell on PoochPaper.com. <laughs> we just landed, and we'll be rolling out, and I think about 1,700 PetSmart stores in July oh, okay, uh, cool. in Canada and the U.S. Yeah, and also uh, Pet Supplies Plus, um, and we almost daily grow in um, you know smaller mom-and-pop boutiques that are either you know regional or. Um, you know, local to different places, but around the country, it's really been a great, you know, growth in the last few months, which has been nice.
0: Yeah, you, you're you giving an update as if you were on Shark Tank three years ago. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was like I, a few months my, ago. Tracy, my mind is boggled because, this, yeah, there, there's a, a lot happening in a, a short period of time. And um, have you shared with us your journey in terms of, uh, a raise, is this all bootstrapped? Have you raised?
1: A good question. So all bootstrapped. I still maintain a full-time uh, job. Yep. Um, and then uh, I've put, obviously, my own money into this at the moment and still own it outright. And uh, I'm hoping <laughs> all my cash flow analyses for uh, now until the end of the year reflect I should be able to quit that sometime in April or May. <laughs> or at least go part-time and break it easy on the business and, you know, keep it growing. But um, yeah, but it's going really, you know, to do a SKU expansion in the last couple of months that include five products and grow the retail, you know, onboarding of all the retail partners and uh, to get some of the communication out. So for example, with the municipalities I had, well, I do have, sales targets for every single month through now to the end of the year. And then obviously ideas for next year and beyond. But um, we hit our February number and our goal for selling to municipalities on February 10th. And, uh, you know, so it gave us another 20 days or whatever (laughs) to (laughs) build up to March because it's a much bigger number, but.
0: I want to ask you about the municipalities, the, you know, apartment or condo buildings. Um, and then of course the campgrounds. Sure. What's your, what's your sales tactic? I mean, are you saving them money? Is it purely that you're like, this is way better for the environment? Cause it seems like that would be a tough thing to get them to change to. So what's your hook? What, what are you doing to to win them over?
1: It's a really good question. So um, first of all, there's 90,000. We'll start with municipalities for a sec. There's 90,000 municipalities across the United States. So the question there is where the heck do I begin, right? Yeah. Um, so I decided to start with um, targeting 10 states. Eight of those states have already enacted a statewide as opposed to a citywide legislation banning single-use plastics So that already works in my favor because they're thinking about it already, right? Um, And then, um, as far as the sales tactics themselves, with all of those 10 states, we've identified every single municipality, we've alphabetized them into county by county, and then have been reaching out. I mean, literally banging the phones, cold calling all of the county level um, folks that are responsible for this type of product uh, to deploy into their park systems. And then we've also been engaged in each of these states has their own statewide conference. And at the moment, because of the trailing, I hope, end of COVID, um, they're all remote. So it's made it a bit easier to be an exhibitor at every single one of those. So that's a great way to get an audience who's listening and engaged for this type of a product all in one place. Um, And then as far as, you know, the leg up is, you know, for strategy, um, believe it or not, the cost is not, we're not as expensive as the most expensive product on the market, which a lot of I'm finding a lot of cities have deployed my own city to be, you know, one example. Um, So that's good. But then more importantly, most of my competition has um, rolls of plastic bags that are available in quantities of 250 mine my dispensers accommodate up to 1,000 sheets of pooch paper yeah so already I'm reducing uh, the labor cost by 75 percent to maintain a pooch paper dispenser versus anybody else so that's been kind of hitting home and then uh, another couple things to mention not you know, in addition to the whole environmental impact of the paper is uh, all these municipalities have to publish an annual report. The annual report needs to reflect incremental progress with respect to their water supply. Uh, And they have to do that in order to maintain what's called an MS4 stormwater permit. So I can show, or we can illustrate That having, you know, not that anyone wants to hear about this, but dog waste always gets into water supplies. (laughs) So when it does, um, our paper organically dissolves versus putting plastic and microplastics and all the pollutants that, you know, PFAS chemicals, for example, and all the things that never do break down that you would find on any plastic bag, um, you wouldn't have with pooch paper. And then finally, as it relates to just reservoir and reservoir choke points, um, if, a pooch paper, if a dog waste inside a pooch paper were to make it all the way down to a filter system, for example, versus a plastic bag with waste in it, a plastic bag with waste would float and then ultimately get into the gears, et cetera, of a filtration system. A pooch paper would sink to the bottom and then organically decompose. So also just from a mechanical standpoint, we're a lot easier um, on the, you know, on a reservoir choke point.
0: So how many, ballpark, because you probably don't know the exact number, but how many of these dispensers are there just in the United States?
1: Oh, gosh. That's a great question. I don't know actually. I
0: mean, the market's huge. How many? 90, how many 90, are in municipalities? I mean, I, that's and how many more. in each? I mean, I'm just thinking of a park. There might be five in a park. So, how many? Yeah. How many of them are in New York City? Do you think?
1: Uh, I I did that math. Hold on, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, there's a hundred. I think. The last I read, there's about 143 dog parks, but keep in mind how many other parks and walking trails there's so many other locations where you might find a dog dispenser, which is why I'm going after this. Uh, This is what happens when I have too much time on my (laughs) hands to figure out how to market when I don't have a budget.
0: (laughs) I want to go backwards for a minute because Tracy was laying, Tracy, when you were laying out your plan of attack on those 90,000 municipalities identifying the eight or 10 states that there was state legislation which kind of forces them in the direction you want them to go anyway. When she was laying that out, I thought this is exactly, and we're sales geeks amongst being just geeks in general, but we're sales geeks. (laughs) This is exactly the business development plan that we would probably lay out. So I'm wondering who owns sales in your organization? Do you own sales? Does someone else own that in your table of organization?
1: Yeah, I own that actually, and then I have one salesperson who I put in touch uh, or in charge, I should say, of North America. And in the middle of all this, I'm working on uh, a distribution deal uh, with the organization outside of the. Well, they're in the UK, uh, and they operate in 55 countries.
0: Gotcha. And what is it? What does the team in general look like right now for Pooch Paper?
1: yeah so we're lean and mean it's myself um and then bill who i mentioned is the head of sales for north america um and everybody i work with more or less is independent and i'm their client so my whole um you know i buy all my raw materials and they go up to um the organization that runs um, the fifty-five thousand square foot uh factory that i'm lucky enough to have some space in Uh, And all the folding, the folding machines are there and, you know, all of the um, boxes get shipped and everything gets put together. And then off they go from um, from that warehouse. And that's up in Newburgh, New York. Um, And then I have a web developer and I have a sales gal that or excuse me, a um, social media gal that handles my two social media accounts. Um, And that's about it, I think, at the moment. No, it's,
0: it's lean and mean for sure. It's a very efficient business, a great business model. Thank you. Any competition?
1: Yeah, I would say, well, first of all, not in the paper space um, because we got the paperwork done uh, in time, which was good, but um, to protect it. Um, but uh, yeah, so the largest competition, I would say from a market share standpoint, certainly is, um, uh, what is it? earth rated. Um, But they're plastic. So 100% of my competition is plastic. So there's that. Uh, But from an eco-friendly, you know, or environmentally friendly type of a product, I'd say that they are the largest. Um, But, you know, with, pardon me, as far as their plastic goes, as is most plastic on the market, um, in order to meet the standard for breaking down that the FTC had put in place um, after a warning that they had submitted, I think in 2015, stating to the manufacturers of plastic bags for picking up dog waste um, that you know you're not actually eco-friendly. So we're going to put a bar in place that you have to break down within a certain time period. If you're saying that you're compostable, you have to compost you know at a certain degree, temperature, and this sort of thing. And a lot of countries have that standard. Ours happens to be um, ASTM D6400. So you can't have that certification if you're not plastic, number one. Uh, And number two, in order to meet that regulation, a lot of these plastic bag companies have injected what's called EPI into the uh, manufacturing process of the plastic so that it, it, it does break down within the time requirement. The problem, however, is all of that breakdown of the plastic bag breaks into hundreds of millions of microplastic particles, and that ends up entering the air we breathe, the water we drink, and our food supply. Um, And even last year, um, I think it was in April, uh, who was it, came out with a cover story, Consumer Reports came out with a cover story that said, eat less plastic, and what their findings showed Uh, was that humans ingest because of the microplastic issue uh, over a credit card sized amount of plastic every single week. And they weren't talking about my shopping. (laughs) So it's a scary, you know, amount. And if you were to put a little Google alert for microplastic, it's a worldwide problem. Uh, Now they're saying that they found microplastic in placentas of babies and like just all kinds of problems and it permeates cell membranes. And, you know, it's just like one problem after the next. So that's basically what we're trying to go after is that. And and
0: and gee, we wonder why we get cancer.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. What's
0: your five-year vision for this company? Where do you see it going?
1: Uh, I would really like it to become the new standard. So um, this is probably a bad, you know, analogy, but people who smoke and now then people are vaping and people who vape probably look at smokers and go oh yeah how could you still be smoking <laughs> yeah I'm hoping it's maybe not the best analogy but for people to think oh how could you still be using plastic in this particular case
0: hey, you'd like someone that's using pooch paper walk up to someone in a dog park that's using and shame
1: plastic.
0: them <laughs> shame them yeah hand them a piece of pooch paper <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing about the shaming, but I'm hoping it's oh, boy, don't you? this new standard. <laughs> I mean, if you're the, the fact
0: that you're comparable on price and then I, I'm fascinated by this 1000 units versus 250, you'll have to do a case study on like the, what labor savings there is in real dollars because it has to, you know, it has to add
1: up. Yeah, I would imagine it would. Um, and that's a great idea. I have a couple of folks, um, already who I know would be very willing to help me put a case study together.
0: So you've had a really cool entrepreneurial journey. I mean, there's, you know, some, some really good wins in there. There's this experience on Shark Tank. Um, what are some of the themes or lessons that the entrepreneurs listening to this can learn from you and your story?
1: Oh gosh. Um, to, I guess when you set out to realize that every door likely that can shut in your face will shut in your face, (laughs) to set the expectation, you know, aim high, always never give up. And, um, you know, whenever doors do shut and expect that they will, there's always a workaround. You know, the most important thing, is you believe in your own idea, you believe in your own success, you've mapped out a plan, you commit to it. Uh, Even though like myself, I work a day job and I'm, you know, my hours are stretched. But if you can figure out how to get, you know, I'm not saying this, I'm taking this from somebody else, but I can't remember who said it, but weaponize your time. Yeah, uh, I love that. That one hit home when I heard it. I thought that's terrific. So figure out how to, you know, what kind of tools you need to, you know, effectively manage your time, um, and then every single day, even if it's one email, because that's all you have time for, do something every single day to move yourself closer to success.
0: You you just seem like you don't take no for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> i don't right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Why, why did you know why did she land target i don't know, she just kept bugging them and they they said yes and she was persistent I, I look at tracy and tracy's total compliment uh i don't want you if i'm in your industry i don't want you as a competitor no, 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 no i want to work with you i want to work for you i just want to be around you when i'm a little down and we can uh-huh. have a cocktail and you could Pump you know, pump me right back up. All uh, ninety thousand municipalities <laughs> are going to hear crazy.
1: <laughs> yes, they are.
0: <laughs> no, I, the weaponize your time thing. Um, we hear that so much with entrepreneurs as they get busier and busier. Time becomes a much more precious element than even capital. Yeah, it's easy. Yeah. Easy when you first start out, you get all the time in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing but time and credit cards. At
1: um, so where I learned how to cut my credit cards up early. Yeah. <laughs> Those get dangerous. That's part of
0: that's part of the uh, entrepreneurial journey. See, we can laugh about these types of things yeah, now. Yeah, once you have a little success, you can laugh. Right. <laughs> so where where can people um, buy the product, and then where can they find you on social media?
1: Um, all right. So for social media, we're on Facebook and Instagram, and it's just pooch paper. I think there's a hashtag in there somewhere. This is totally foreign to me. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have a social person at social media. Exactly. That's
1: the first thing I outsource, so <laughs> I get that it's off crazy, my. That's
0: okay. Joe, Joe's still on MySpace. Yeah, I'm on, my, I'm <laughs> on MySpace. <laughs> So don't don't I'll look you up <laughs> in Thailand. You know, he in Thailand. actually he still doesn't know what a podcast is. He thinks these are going to air on AM radio. <laughs> <laughs> don't, Do don't you, have, like, you
1: have like two of the knobs to dial? Get like his car flipping
0: I, through the stations. I still He's, have I, have, like, I, can't I have, have rabbit ears at home on my television. <laughs> <laughs> I told him he's release on Tuesday, so every Tuesday morning he's trying to find I'm, the dial. Tracy, I'm like the most hip 80-year-old you've ever met,
1: right? <laughs> we look awfully good for 80. <laughs> yeah,
0: thank you. I'm 60. <laughs> <laughs> so, at Pooch Paper on Facebook and Instagram.
1: Yes. Yep. And then for um, finding it out in the retail community, we sell on poochpaper.com, uh, zero-waste store. Uh, Target, Chewy, uh, Walmart.com, uh, Orvis stores and Orvis.com, and uh, gosh, a handful of others, um, loads of boutiques who are so much fun to work with, and you know, very grateful for their business. In uh, July, we'll be in PetSmart and Pet Supplies Plus. And hopefully, in a community near you guys soon enough. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I know. One day we're going to be walking down the street and see one of these things, and <laughs> I, you're going to kill it. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to absolutely kill it.
1: Thank you. I, I'll tell you. I am across from Central Park, and um, actually, it was even before Shark Tank. I was taking my dog for a walk, and um, there was poosh paper on the floor. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh, my God, I took a picture and sent it to my mom. I'm like, that's not from me. That's from somebody else. And then I stopped. I thought, why are you throwing it away?
0: <laughs> to see your but, product but, out there being used is the coolest thing. So what was what was cooler for you, being on Shark Tank or seeing your product on the ground in Central Park?
1: <laughs> I'm i think. I think when I was done with the interview on Shark Tank, which, you know, four minutes on air, I think I was in the tank for about an hour and a half that people don't realize how long you guys probably do because you've spoken to people who have done it. But um, I think turning around, walking out and like breathing easy (laughs) was the best thing. It was so nerve wracking.
0: Well, we, we so appreciate your time and letting us uh, kind of behind the scenes of what's going on, what's coming up. So many lessons here. This was great. Yeah. We appreciate it, Tracy. I, I think oh, not goodness. only are you a, a really, really sharp and talented entrepreneur, I think your mindsets are fantastic. Some of the best attitudes and mindsets that have been articulated on one of these interviews. So yeah. thank you. Oh,
1: thank you. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that.
0: That was a fun interview. It was. It was a great interview. We're back in the the G10 studio with some post games. Yeah, this is where we break down some of the really interesting, thought-provoking lessons from the entrepreneurs that really, in a lot of cases, are applicable to any business. And I think that's one of the fun things that we enjoy about doing this work, where we work with entrepreneurs and we put them into groups that meet on a monthly basis, is you start realizing that... 80, 90, 95% of the problems that entrepreneurs have are the same regardless of the business in the industry and the region that they're in, right? I mean, most of this stuff, there's just so much we can learn from a completely different business. So we love taking these lessons and everyone listening to this, all of those entrepreneurs out there can apply it to their business regardless of what it is. Yeah, what we find, in, especially in these diverse groups we put together inside of growth these little tribes, there could be uh, businesses from every sector and every industry, but there's also so much commonality. So many of their issues sound and feel alike. The widget they sell, the product they sell is probably less than 10 or 15% of what we discuss. So what would you learn? <clears throat> because Tracy Rosenstiel was on Wall Street for over 20 years... I think she's seen a lot of businesses over leverage, uh, dilute their cap table, destroy their cap table. Something we talk about in our newly released book, soon to be released book, probably released by the time you're listening or watching, uh, listening to or watching. Well, this. we're airing this in a few days. Few days. Yeah. Okay. Well, Is the book going to be out in a few days? It's close, but go to OutsideTheTank.com, leave your email address. We'll send you a free book. How's that? Free book, free audio book. <laughs> no, for all the listeners of the show, you will get the book for free. We're, we're Actually, we're really excited for the book and uh, some great lessons, some great stories. It's an easy read, and it has to be an easy read because you and I wrote it. And so it's not going to be big words, and it's not going to be that long. I got a C- minus in uh, American Lit and Comp uh, my senior year in high school. So oh, you made it that <laughs> I mean, it's a senior year. Uh-huh. It's no, I would have st- never guessed that. A it. story for another day, but I almost didn't make it out of Grand High School. But one of the things that we talk about in our book, we have a chapter about destroying your cap table. So, uh, hey, Tom, we need money, so let's go raise some money. Tracy didn't do that. She, what I liked and what we learned is she bootstrapped this entire business. She didn't destroy her cap table. Yeah, and the other mistake we see in that is when people go, Oh well, Sally, you're just you're such a valued part of the team. Here's five percent of the company. And they just <laughs> give it away like Oprah, give it away uh prize And you get a card yeah. you get a card. That's exactly so right. she's she pride she, she she had a lot of pride that they were a very lean and mean operation. Yep. Whereas some folks will raise money and then they'll get a big office and all the trappings of Bigger success. all isn't always better. Correct. We like profitable. We like lean. Lean and mean. The other thing that I took away from Tracy is that she was okay owning sales. She's a great salesperson. She understands business development. She decided that she would own sales, which is better than saying, well, everyone owns sales. We all sell. No, someone really needs to own sales. Uh, and then some people shy away from it. And those folks that don't have the business development background, what we recommend is that they either outsource it or hire the right person, but someone has to own sales. She just made a decision very early in the business that she was going to own that space. So I like that. Um, you know, she has a huge vision, uh, <clears throat> but she also set some expectations for herself. She knew that some doors were going to close on her face and that there were going to be, uh, there were going to be times when she <laughs> she would wonder what the heck she got herself into. So she had the, right expectations of that tough road that every entrepreneur has to go down to get to the promised land. And then the last thing um, that uh, I noted that she said just hit me like a ton of bricks. She's like, uh, she, she, and she made the comment, I weaponize my time. And I love that comment because we think of time as this great and very efficient weapon. And you're either going to Uh, Really, really respect your time and have other people respect it or you're going to squander it. So what Tracy said, weaponize your time. I think you should write down and take to heart. Yeah, as an entrepreneur, you have to be fanatical about your time. You know, you have to balance your personal and professional life. You have to focus on the things that are going to drive the business forward. Um, You know, you need to work hard, but you can't overextend and burn yourself out. I mean, it's it's a real challenge, but... And it's an overplayed term, but time management, but really the weaponization of your time to make it work for you to advance your business is critical as an entrepreneur. Um, All great stuff. Just a few things I'll quickly add. One of my big takeaways was how she was actively finding markets right yeah. so one market would be, well, I've got food and paper and I'm going to sell it to consumers and they're gonna spend6.99 dollars 99 cents or whatever and they're gonna buy it on my website or buy it on Amazon. But then she's saying, well what about the 90,000 municipalities out there had no idea the never would many cities and counties out there condos and apartments. Um, how about the KOA campgrounds? So sometimes we forget there's other uses, there's other markets for our product, and you know she had mentioned the um, the municipalities, and the idea was is that her holder contained one thousand pieces of paper, compared to the most of the places now that have two hundred and fifty plastic bags. So not only is it more eco friendly, it's good actually is eco friendly. It's going to save them money. Okay, and it's going to save substantial labor costs because you're changing it a quarter of the time. That's imagine New York City if you're cutting the labor costs into a quarter on those things. So I thought that was really interesting. Uh, Big, ambitious goal, like you said, her five year vision is to be the new standard in that space. And, you know, if if you're not dreaming big and you're not ambitious, then then why bother being an entrepreneur? It's not fun. Uh, Everyone wants to, and you'll attract uh, so many more talented people. Uh, No one wants to be part of something that isn't a lot bigger than themselves. And so that big vision we talk about often, have a big vision, but also learn to articulate that vision well. Tell people on your team and your group where you want to take your company or organization. Well, that wraps up this edition. This was fun. Outside the tank. I love Outside the Tank. Make sure to follow us. Make sure to subscribe. I don't want to do these all day. I just want to sit here and and interview people and talk to you all day. I don't want you to talk to me all day. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. everyone.